Welcome back to the Cock and Ball Podcast, where we look at all things Spurs and the time it takes to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Uh, once again, a reminder, you can follow our Facebook page uh, or our Twitter at Cock and Ball underscore pod. Uh, I'm Tom, aka Fen. I'm your intravenous inoculator of the Spurs virus today. Uh, and also with us today is the podcasting equivalent to the Pfizer vaccine, a man who's usually 95% accurate, imported from abroad, and his ice cold. It's Ashley. <laughs> How are we doing, chaps? We all right? Yeah, yeah, good. And also with us is the podcasting equivalent uh, to the Oxford vaccine. Uh, a bit more hit and miss, uh, and doses on him should be kept 12 weeks apart. It's Jules. <laughs> good afternoon, mate. How are we doing? Very well, thank you. And finally, we have the podcasting equivalent to Russia's Sputnik vaccine that controls the media and keeps an eye on everything we do for the microchips in our bloodstream. It's Jim. <laughs> <laughs> afternoon. Uh, so our midweek fixture against Fulham was mysteriously called off this hours before kickoff uh, due to their COVID outbreak, which gives us a little bit less to talk about. Um, but that led us to the home clash uh, against a well-revered Leeds United. Uh, 2020 is finally over. Uh, and we started it with a lovely 3-0 win. Uh, Ash, are you getting a bit bored of Darude Sandstorm by the end of the match? <laughs> by the end of the match, yeah. But it's nice to actually hear it again. It's been a while, is not it? <laughs> <laughs> It's got to the point as well where I don't even bother celebrating the first goal, so I didn't even hear it. I just sort of turned away, just because I expect <laughs> something bad to happen like five minutes later or at the end of the game. <laughs> what did you think, Fen? Um, I, I I thought we were actually quite sort of proactive, and I liked how we uh, we we pressed. I thought we sort of um, set traps. Winks in particular was brilliant. I thought he had, he had his best game for us in ages. Yeah, absolutely. It was a. Uh, it's a bit of a slow start, I thought. Um, they, as usual, looked good once they got hold of the ball. They move so well off the ball, it's it's lovely. But they're a bit of a blunt instrument, as I refer to Wolves as, as well at the moment, which done us a favour. And then once we got that penalty, it was a penalty. It was perhaps slightly against a run of play, but that gave us the impetus to, to actually execute the game plan. And sometimes people are critical of the one-dimensional approach that Jose does. And it just goes to show he, he can do it other ways. He, he can play and be, he's pragmatic because he's playing in a way where we win. And that was by pressing high, by Winks pushing on and intercepting passes in midfield. And at the start of the second half being particular was, was electric and long may that continue. I, I thought as well Son's um, movement for his goal. He, he's just got an extra gear, doesn't he? And it's that I think it's that difference between being a very good player and being an elite player is that as mm. soon as Kane skipped away, there was just like, OK, we know what's about to happen here. The acceleration, the pace, the careful finish, everything about that was sort of, I know that it's the kind of quality finish which you only see from re- from sort of real top level forwards in the game. It was a great goal. And as well as the intensity coming back, his his runs off the ball were a major uh, improvement on reading games and uh, and Bergwijn as well, to be fair. He had a couple of chances. He, he did look lively. I, I was happy with him. But they, they sort of set the tone. They were the players that were pressing higher. Um, mm. And Dembele gave him credit as well, who was doing the same thing. And as soon as um, either of the midfielders and Dembele or Kane got the ball, Son and Bergwijn were making the runs, mm. which were pushing uh, Leeds back because they don't know how to defend. So <laughs> they were, he sort of just pushed them back, which was great to see. They're a weird team at the back, aren't they? I don't know, yeah. Jim. What, what you thought of how they their attempts to play out because their back line is <laughs> well, like all right backs and left backs and no centre backs. <laughs> yeah, the 
the first goal obviously came from obviously came from the penalty, but the penalty came as a result of them uh, essentially playing a hospital pass in the area where they just didn't need to. I, I guess it's a matter of personal preference. I quite like teams that play out for the back because not only is it nicer to to watch, but it's designed so that you don't turn over possession when you have a goal kick, lump it forward and lose a second ball. But obviously it's a bit of a danger that you make a, a cock up like that and they've not quite got the uh, the right personnel to execute it. But City have, have dropped off their press a bit um, and they stop conceding as many goals. And they their logic is actually, well, pressing has sort of left them a bit exposed behind because they were being played through. I suppose that's the yeah. risk is well, if, it, if it goes wrong, then they're in at you. Well, if you look at the, these three goals, so from a Spurs perspective, you're really happy because they're three well-taken goals. It's just a case of being quite efficient and taking your chances, really, which is job well done. And from a Leeds perspective, it's um, all three goals are entirely preventable if you just do things mm. 5% better. First goal is a set-piece, second goal in behind, job done, third goal, set-piece. And Leeds have conceded more set-pieces than any other team in the Premier League. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's all this hand-wringing about whether Marcelo Bielsa is any good. Um, and he obviously is, but it's curious that for a, a guy that's done so much to influence so many other coaches, uh, his teams have never been able to def- particularly defend set-pieces. Never been able to defend full-stop, mm. but particularly <laughs> set-pieces. Uh, and it's just it's a strange anomaly, isn't it? Because for all, all the criticism that, that Jose Mourinho gets... Uh, from everyone, really, for being quite one-dimensional at times and sticking to this dogmatic approach that he has. He switched it up. Bielsa carries on playing the way that he always says he will, which I think, in a a way, is admirable. He kind of says, well, we got here playing this way, so we're going to stick to it. Mm. Um, But (laughs) you, you have to accept with that that sometimes you'll get a bit of a slap and they um is that is that did fen, again. <laughs> fen did you get a slap for your comments with your lead supporting girlfriend um i didn't get a slap i got um well you know when uh doctor got sent off and yeah. there's that now infamous image of jose just giving him a sideways glance of what the fuck was that <laughs> and that was how my lead supporting girlfriend was looking at me. I mean, <laughs> the, the second goal was just so beautiful. Just I, I don't know how Kane sees the runs. He just knows Son's going to be there and he's able to put it on a sixpence to, to where Son is going to be. And he knows Son's never going to miss. And it was such a beautiful goal. I couldn't help, but I turned to her and I shouted. I don't know what I shouted, but I did. <laughs> and um, yeah, she went for well a long walk to think about how she feels. So uh, <laughs> she's, uh, she's just about talking to me again. Don't, don't you worry. I, I have a theory with Kane's passing range. I'm not actually sure he's the most ridiculous passer of the ball, but I think his decision making on where to pass it in the final third is absolutely amazing. Because that pass isn't, it's not necessarily like the most ridiculous technique, but he just sees like, where's the high value danger ball there? It's it's just threading it just behind the Leeds back line. And if someone's smart enough to make the run, they've got a goal. Yeah, he's he's pretty perfect in, in that respect. He always seems, well, he, more often than not, and when we need him to, he picks out the right pass and makes um, makes the right decisions. And I think that sort of reflected on the, the whole team, to be fair. It was a pretty... We could call it a pretty perfect performance other than giving away. But Bamford's headed chance, he probably should have scored that at 0-0. Mm. 
and and obviously Doherty's red card, even though the first yellow card, touch and go, in my opinion. But you can see why it's mm. given. It was reckless. <laughs> I was having this conversation yesterday about what makes a perfect performance, and there's not really such a thing because there's always something in a game you could do better. But, um, but I agree, actually, it was about as close as you could you could get. Really, three well worked goals and a clean sheet. You can't ask for yeah. a lot more than that. Really. Well, you wouldn't have known that if you were just listening to the commentators because Fletch and Hoddle were too busy <laughs> fondling Bielsa's balls to realise what was actually going on in the game. <laughs> did we all see the Did we all see the footage of him falling over? Oh, yes. <laughs> I was going to mention this. I think that summarised his game because he's so good at squatting and to see him like stumble over like that is, um, is surprising. Is, is he not at the age, though, where is it still acceptable to laugh? Like, like I feel like he's about yeah. the age. No, he's, 60, I think so. he's like 63. 65, he's not, I think. He's not we, can, we, we can balance it off by saying he's probably got stronger knees than all of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean certainly he's certainly got more stronger... squad's flexibility on his knees. He's certainly got stronger knees than Jules, because Jules' knees are just cornflakes, aren't they? I was, I was going to say, between me and Fenn, I think we've got one working knee. So we're yeah, between us. I did actually look up um, why he squats so much. And it was uh, Guillaume Bellogate, I can't pronounce it. Uh, he wrote Potter's book. Uh, did, did kind of explain it. that Apparently, Bielsa walks four miles from his home to the training ground every day. Uh, and because he's so he's such an intense walker that he, he likes to to be able to <laughs> to be able to crouch and to stretch his knees uh, and I'd sit on whenever he likes. And a lot of it stems from the back pain he picked up uh, in, in his playing career, which he never got over. Um, he used to sit on a cooler box at uh, Marseille, uh, you may recall, until eventually Leeds supplied him with a bucket, which they made comfy and put a sponsor's logo on. Uh, never never miss a beat at Ellen Road. Apparently. It might be because the dugouts are quite sunken at Ellen Road and he wanted a better position to sit at. But then he spends most of the time pacing anyway. It doesn't make any sense. But there's a quote here from uh, early in his career. They, they asked him, why do you do this? No one else does this. Uh, Bielsa said, you want me to tell you more than what it is? It's just a bucket. I have nothing to add. <laughs> it's a comfortable bucket. Ash, I've seen... Jim and Fenn for my sins uh, manage a team, and I see what they're. I've seen their touchline attire, which was sort of I'd say smart suits, but it's kind of like university smart suits, if you know what I mean. It's it's not quite. Like, I don't think they were exactly wedding ready. Put it that way. <laughs> um, if you were a touchline manager, what would you wear? I'd be suits all the way. So if if not if a tux is probably a little bit too far. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't be pulling off you wouldn't be pulling off any sort of Pet Guardiola like ex, exceptionally expensive oh, no. jumpers or something. Stone Island. I'd go with the um with the Pochettino and the Simeone black on black on black. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, you would just look like a bouncer. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm too short for that. <laughs> I always wanted a um an Arsene Wenger trench coat. But mm. I just never got there. <laughs> just to see if you're, you're better at zipping it up than he is. <laughs> go down to my ankles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I sort of felt for Bielsa a little bit because you could see from his mannerisms yesterday that just nothing was going as he wanted it to go. Um, and when he was sort of just throwing his arms out and just looking blankly into open space, I thought that's that's the same emotion I have most of the time when I'm watching football matches. But <laughs> well, that's Stockport for you. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I can say about Hoybier, um, I thought he was excellent again yesterday. And we, 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 we know there's kind of a, a bit of a stats fe- fetish in the media where people love to come up with these 
you know, the, these points kind of like flog home. Um, I'm surprised not many people have commented on the fact that he's committed the most fouls uh, in the Premier League this year. And he brings possibly the most cynical <laughs> approach to holding midfield I think I've ever seen. Like his pettiness in kicking the ball away from people about to take a free kick <laughs> is absolutely like I, I don't I don't think I've ever seen such a petty professional. I've seen it on Hackney Marshes, but I've, I've not seen it on a professional pitch before. In my opinion, looks you can like get into my veins. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> He's just got a look, hasn't he? Like he should be starring in a sort of a uh, low-grade Eastern European gangster film. I thought you were going to say porno. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still watch that. Well, to, to, be fair to, <laughs> to be fair to him, I reckon the only reason his fouls stats are so high is because obviously he's he's a really intense midfielder, but his, his mobility, he's not the quickest player on the pitch, but we're pairing him up with another midfielder who doesn't know how to be a midfielder. So he, he's having to try and cover so much of the pitch without having that pace element. So maybe it's not his choice that he's founded. If he can teach, you know, Harry Winks how to add some of those parts to his game and play the way he did yesterday on a more consistent basis. I actually thought yesterday that was probably one of our best team performances because we didn't, it wasn't just the kind of the elite players who played well. It was the the other, like, I, I thought Doherty had a really good game until getting sent off. I thought Winks was really good. I thought Bergvine, again, I mean, he had his chances once he hits, I feel like I feel like it's going to be sort of floodgates moment for him. Once he mm. once he hits a certain couple of goals, then he'll suddenly start to consistently get his output. Um, I disagree about Doherty. I don't think he played well at all. I thought he looked like a dog lost his owner. He was like he was delighted to be out there. He had no idea what to do with himself. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I had a different reading of it. I thought he was. Um... I thought I thought he was he was sharp. He was much more aggressive in terms of his tackling and sort of uh, his his competing for the ball. And I thought that's one thing which for him and Winks. Yeah. I, I, well, <laughs> I was pretty aggressive, funny. Well, <laughs> off. But, but, but I think for him and Winks, if they can be more front foot aggressive in their defensive play, respectively, in those two areas of the pitch, I'd rather we were giving away fouls in those areas than letting people run at them, which I feel like they they've otherwise had a tendency to do a bit. For, for, for all of our kind of, uh, you know, well, particularly my negative sort of uh, <laughs> thoughts, you know, things are going reasonably well. So onwards and upwards. There were a few um, noticeable absentees, however. Um, Davies did start uh, and probably on recent form, probably, you know, maybe deserves it if we're not looking to get a fullback bombing on. Reguilon was on the bench. I did see something for, I think it was Duncan Castles, who's a fairly reputable source for Spurs news as a journalist. Um, I think I saw him say that Lamella and Lachelso may have even tested positive for coronavirus. I'd have to fact check that. Bit silly, isn't it, at a time when we need that depth the most for them to just be sauntering off uh, doing illegal gatherings. Yeah, I mean it's it's moronic, and they should be hit with the hardest sanctions that we can internally. Um, you know, I think the standard sort of max in a football club is a two week fine but it's moronic from both a personal perspective in terms of the fact they have they have now tested positive and are haven't probably infected other people um but also they are professionals who are given you know every advantage when it comes to being able to kind of keep themselves safe that's pretty fair i think the worst part of it is what they spent with a west ham player (laughs) (laughs) i don't think he even got covid did he that's the most annoying thing it's so stupid but we also haven't heard from the players yet. 
but I also wonder what they can say. You know, I saw um, it was Lanzini said like, oh, you know, I, I apologize for, um, you know, I made a, it was a poor error of judgment. And I'm like, well, this wasn't a spontaneous momentary thing. Like, you hosted a bloody party. Lamella tweeted something similar. And um, no offense yeah, to him, but it was well. it was written in perfect English. It was quite clearly a copy and paste job from someone in the in the club sort of PA department. Mm. It just winds me up though as well because it's a it's a respiratory issue. And if one of them catches it, it could leave them sit or, or if they give it to somebody else, even if they're healthy, it could mm. leave them with six, seven, eight weeks recovery to be able mm. to be fully fit. Um, so someone in that profession where fitness is so important. Something that I thought that actually I thought was a bit sad in a way was um, Jose Mourinho had left a, a lunch for, uh, was it Reggion? It was for Lamella. I can't remember which one. Yeah. Oh, it's, and, um, it's a suckling pig. That's it. it's, <laughs> no pig is safe because it's just escalated. It started off with a pig's leg and then he got him a whole suckling pig for Christmas because <laughs> he thought Reggion was going to be on his own. It was a really lovely gesture. But how is he going to eat a whole suckling pig? <laughs> well, I think they're... Yum, 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 yum. I don't think it's a whole pig, but to apologise to Jose, he's surely got to buy him a whole fucking hog roast. Like, no, no pig in London is safe. Most he's of got to have the word, like, I'm sorry in pork scratchings on his front drive or something. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's one, you know, Reggion has... Uh... He's been quite effusive about uh, Mourinho recently in the media, saying how much you know how much he likes him and um, that Mourinho has been so supportive of him personally and all these things. Um, if you're Jose, I think you'd be feeling pretty hacked right. off. Uh, so you got a new uh, book for Christmas, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I got a book by James Comrade, which is the funniest football quotes, and it's sort of self-explanatory. It's a collection of all um, sort of funny and famous quotes from from the footballing world. And I've, I've got a quote today from that from that very good book, which I would recommend to anyone. If you could, um, if you could sort of help me out here. When asked who was your biggest football influence, which former Tottenham legend replied with Vladimir Smirnov? Roman Pavlyuchenko. <laughs> no, it's a good start, though. <laughs> Is that the right ballpark? No, not at all. <laughs> Legend is also a very strong word to use for Pavlichenko. He is a favourite of mine, but <laughs> he's a cult hero. He's yeah, a that's cult not hero. a legend. Yeah, that's <laughs> more accurate. He's a striker. It is, it is, in fact, and it gives me great pleasure to be able to say Jimmy Greaves, MBE. But it's great to see that he's finally been given the um, the accolade that he deserves. What would you, if you could add one quote that you've heard like, at, at a football match? So this is from like sort of anonymous fan underneath. What would be your one quote to add to the book? Hmm. I remember I was at the, the 9-1 game with Wigan and Defoe had already scored five goals. And I think he, like, he had a bad touch and he lost the ball and someone shouted, come on, Defoe, you've been shit. Depends. <laughs> 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 if, if, if it was from someone in the stands, it's, it's a situation that me and Tom talk about all the time. I think it was, it was a Europa League game, wasn't it? I think we might have spoken about it before, but a guy just turned up and he was literally only there for the first half. At no point did he even look at the pitch. He was just trying to tell everyone there that he lived next to Marcus Edwards' dad. <laughs> he just literally, you could see everyone, thankfully, um, just, well, I say thankfully, the stadium wasn't particularly full. So everyone was moving away as he was moving towards them. Probably about 20 years ago, I think we were playing Palace. And it was around the time of Harold Shipman. And um, for anyone who's unaware, Harold Shipman was a doctor that killed many hundreds of people. Uh, and he was from Hyde, which is a few miles away from here but a different place and um 
it was quite quiet and this I can't remember what the score was. I think there was a bit of a lull in the game and then all the pa- the Palace fans just started singing, Did the doctor kill your mum? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think that I think that is escalating it. I've heard some bad things said at matches, but I don't think I've uh... <laughs> my God. Just reminded me that was another chant that kind kind of came out of nowhere when we were away at, at Leeds, funnily enough, about ten years ago. Uh, and there was a bit of back and forth uh, between the two sets of fans, and the the Leeds lot started singing uh, Lancashire wank wank wank, and we're like, we're not from Lancashire lads, it's in wrong county. Um, so there's a, there a bit of banter going back and forth, and then the Leeds fans started singing something, and we were like, is that, is that English? Any anyone got any ideas? And like nobody could tell what it was. So one of our lot just started saying, similar chant just started singing, if you can't speak properly, shut your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that would be enjoyed by so many fans about a rival group. South against the North all the time. Jimmy Greaves is obviously Tottenham Hotspur's top scorer. Jumin Son has now joined the 100 club by scoring his 100th goal for Tottenham Hotspur. He is one of an an elite uh, group of only 18 players who have ever done it. Uh, obviously, Son is 18th. Can you name the others? So we're going to go through it in order. So just ahead of Son on 101 goals are two players, one of which signed uh, for Spurs in 1908. Do you know who it was? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to save you the misery of the ones you're just never going to get. 1908 to 1919, it was Billy Minter. He scored 101 goals, um, went to the First World War and came back <laughs> despite being wounded in battle. <laughs> Uh, and it went on to manage the club and, uh, until he died in 1940. He, 101 goals is also shared with uh, Johnny Morrison, who played up until 1939 when, uh, well, the Second World War happened. Uh, just ahead of them, 104 goals is a man called Bert Bliss. Uh, again, his career was also interrupted by the First World War as a theme here. You feel sorry for these players because they could have scored more goals. Yeah, that war um, was such an inconvenience. In 14th, uh, signed for Spurs in 1975, played into 1987, 110 goals, bit of a club legend. I'll give you a clue, you heard his voice yesterday. Glenn Hoddle. Correct. Just ahead of him is uh, Jimmy Dimmock, who scored 112 goals. He served as a gunner in the First World War, which is uh, ironic that he went on to play for Spurs. (laughs) Uh, Ahead of him is Les Bennett, 117 goals. Uh, he signed for Spurs in 1946, and he spent much of the Second World War in Burma, India, and Egypt. <laughs> uh, in 11th, finally, another player that, that you will have heard of, 122 goals, uh, two stints with a club, named that striker. Jermaine Defoe? No. Peter Crouch? Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane, that is correct. Um, you always forget uh, he went to Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Six <laughs> Weird, weird, weird situation that was. Just ahead of him, 124 goals, also did two stints. Oh, Teddy uh, Sheringham? Yes. Hey. Ah, also well a stint in the 90s and a stint in the early noughties as well. Uh, just ahead of him, in ninth, 133 goals. Uh, so this is a big name from the 60s. We mentioned him on the podcast before. He's an absolute um, club legend. Uh, Alan Gilsey. <laughs> Just ahead of him is uh, Len Dequemin, 134 goals. Yep, no idea either. <laughs> the war under German occupation in Guernsey. Um, just ahead of him, a player from the 30s called George Hunt, scored 138 goals. Uh, we signed him in 1930 from Chesterfield. 
Uh, and then ahead of him with 143 goals is another striker who you have also mentioned twice before. Jermaine Defoe. Which is ahead of him is a, it's a bit of a Welsh wizard uh, from the 60s, De Bill Nicholson here, 159 goals. Oh, um, Cliff Davis? Just, just say Jones. It's either Davis yes. or Jones. <laughs> it is Jones. You just had to pick the generic Welsh surname and you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Had a favoured fourth, 174 goals. I think he was the record scorer in Europe until he was overtaken by Jermaine Defoe in 2013. <laughs> uh, it's Martin Chivers, third place, scored his 205th goal yesterday. Harry Kane. Kane. Second place, uh, a legend from the sort of mid-50s to mid-60s, 208 goals uh, from the Bill Nicholson era. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby Smith. Smith. And of course, number one, the illustrious... Jimmy Green's MBE. So there we go. That's 100 Club. An interesting fact uh, that Des Kelly mentioned on BT that Son is the first player from outside of the British Isles and including Ireland to score 100 goals for Spurs, which I thought was quite interesting. The perfect example of the kind of, uh, sort of players that, that we'd love to have at the club, isn't he? I was thinking everything about him from how he sort of carries himself, how he seems to engage and get along with teammates, how he plays on the pitch. I hope we can bring in many more like Sonny. So we've got a week of um, cup games ahead, including a big one against Brentford, semi-final of the League Cup midweek, followed by Marine in the third round of the FA Cup. So that's our first competitive fixture in the FA Cup this season. Uh, firstly, we kind of know what we're dealing with with Brentford. We kind of briefly touched on it in the last pod. Thomas Frank's side can be very challenging at times. I think they've got like five football directors, don't they? Or directors of football and that's why they recruit so well. Yeah, I mean, they they, they work bully bean money ball, uh, but in football, um, they're doing it very, very well. Uh, an excellent kind of squad of, of players who I think will all be, they're, they're always signing players with, with the view to them being able to go on and play at a higher level. So everyone will probably be high potential, quite technical, quite quick. Yeah, I've done my best Jules impression of taking a look at the stats. Um, to try and give me a better understanding. So, I mean, they've they've won their last two games against Cardiff and Bournemouth, um, and they're currently sitting fourth with you know six points off top. But the the most interesting thing is um, obviously they lost Watkins, who is one of the greatest strikers to come out of the Championship three times. Um, he's already scored sixteen goals in the twenty two games they've already played so far, um, which is higher than his expected goals, which is twelve point nine nine. So basically, we need to limit the chances he's getting because he probably he'll punish us in, in the form that he's currently in. Who is this, uh, sorry? That was even Tony, Tonye? Tony, yeah. Tony, they got him from Newcastle. Well, as, he's their main top goal scoring top goal threat. Scorer. Then nobody else has, got, has scored more than five goals so far. But then come the weekend, we've got to go up to Liverpool to a football club no one had heard of before this season. Uh, <laughs> Marine, um, for those who are sort of local to... Tottenham and the surrounding counties, uh, they play at the same sort of level as Ware and Hartford and Harlow and Brentwood. By right, probably shouldn't be anywhere near the third round of the FA Cup proper, but it's a massive achievement for them. Jim, you know the Football League probably better than all of us here. What is a Marine and why isn't it a soldier? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like you say, they play at Tier 8 in the Northern Premier League Division 1. I think they're in Crosby. Um, so it's sort of real Liverpool, and they're named after it. I think they're named after a hotel, a Marine Hotel, which is where they they were first created. But by the 
the kind of looks of things. They're a sort of salt of the earth, very steady uh, club at that level. And they, I think that, I don't know whether the first team ever, but certainly the first team for a very long time from that low down the pyramid to make it to the third round. And they're managed by, uh, by a guy called Neil Young, uh, who I'm familiar with because he was <laughs> uh, briefly manager at Stockport County for a dreadful six-month period. This guy had um, he'd been at uh, Chester City, or the, the uh, Phoenix Club of Chester City, when they were, they were in the Conference North. 42-game season, and they broke every good record, basically. Highest number of wins with 34 out of 42. Fewest defeats, three. Most points ever in an English season, 107. Most goals scored 103, best goal difference plus 71, longest unbeaten streak of 30 games. Got sacked a couple of years later when it started to come wrong and and the people at um, at Stockport County went, yeah, OK, we'll get ourselves some of that. <laughs> it started with, how can I put this? It started with our top scorer from the previous two seasons was sent out on loan to Macclesfield Town, who were the division above... They were paying 30% of his wages. We were paying 70% and there was no recall clause. <laughs> Meanwhile, we couldn't score for Toffee. Uh, I, think, I think it was 50, It was either 55 or 57 different players in six months. More than five full teams. Uh, and left with a team that was favourites for the title that year in a relegation battle. Jim, how bitter are you about this human being? Uh, <laughs> Just very a little bit. He spent a fortune and nearly took down a team that should have gone up. <laughs> um, to, be fair, to be fair, that is a pretty bad mix. Uh, and then he ended up at Marine, not last season, but the season before. Marine are, I think, 140-odd years old. have never, ever been relegated. Neil Young came in. First thing he did, went down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, he seems, to be, he seems to have steadied them at the level they're at and fair play to him for getting them to... Um, to the third round and he'll he'll have them well Can up I, for it so I'll, I'll ask two questions Jim based on that and and it's delightful to see the the fury sort of given such clear enunciation because <laughs> you managed to you painted such a detailed picture what kind of football did he does he play and two how would you play a team that's that much lower down the pyramid than you are what do you think is the is is the biggest yeah opportunity you can use low block <laughs> so firstly his style of play I, I wish I could tell you I don't know uh, his whole I think it'll be direct he was a yeah I mean he was he was very much a pragmatist he came in with this idea that our uh, teams uh, my teams are really well disciplined and everybody can score goals and blah 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 blah. we don't have a top goal scorer we have 11 players that can score goals um, the only thing I remember from that period is almost every week we had a red card um so terrible terrible discipline yeah i mean it's it was a bit of a mishmash really direct as you'd expect um very kind of pragmatic the best thing to do to beat them to be honest would just be to play football because they'll be compact and uh keep it simple but they are a part-time team of kind of plumbers teachers what have you so um and they play on a 4g and and they play on a 4g pitch right i don't know uh, maybe I'm, I'm not sure. I've seen I've seen amazing uh, I don't photos. Think it looks it. 
Is it not 4G? I, I know I've seen amazing photos of the fact they so they've got numbers painted on behind the fence, and that's to tell you which yeah. house to knock on <laughs> if you, the ball goes into the garden. Okay, so I mean, it's I'm being slightly sort of deliberately bitter about it. I, good luck to them. It's a great achievement to get that far. Spurs will beat them fairly easily, I think. But um, it's a good, it's a big occasion for a club like that, isn't it? So, uh, so hopefully it, it lives up to it. Speaking of, should we do predictions then? What, what do you reckon, Jim? Start with uh, Brentford. Ooh, I'm going to go two-one Spurs for Brentford. And for Marine, I will say four-nil. Ash, Brentford. I reckon it will look a lot like the Leeds, but maybe we won't have the same luck with set pieces, etc. So I'll say two-nil Spurs. And for Marine, we should win about six-nil, which probably means we'll win about two-one with a late-minute goal. I think I agree that we should beat Brentford with our ambitions and our quality but I do think they might score because it's a cup game I'm going to say 2-1 I think it'll be fairly close Marine yeah I think 6-0 is probably not wrong is it that's what I've gone for no offence to them but fuck them no we want to win I think, yeah agree agree with both those I was going to say 2-1 but my my spin on it add add a little faith, uh, is to make it 2-1 after extra time uh, against Brentford and Marine 4-0. Yeah, I think it's also worth noting as well that Marine can't have fans for this. This is normally what the biggest money spinner for them is getting a full attendance for the door. Uh, thankfully, it's on BBC, so they'll get the TV money from that. But there's been a lot of good stuff around the club about promoting the sale of their programme online. You can buy virtual match tickets, which I think into you into a raffle where you can I think you can win a chance to manage um, Marine for a day or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there might Probably be an opportunity fair. for Jim to exact some sort of revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can also buy half and half scarves as well if you're into that kind of thing. Um, oh no! But no, I detest them. But if you want to support their club, there's there's a lot of opportunities to do that. Just have a look on their their Twitter, their website, and the like, and uh, it's a good thing to do because clubs at that level are really struggling at the moment and I think on that cheery note uh, we'll call it a day we'll see you next time and hopefully we're further down the road on our cutbacks